This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. What is a blessing to be here with you this morning. I'm looking forward to um, studying t- together from God's Word. Um, you know, as, as, uh, as I thought about things that have been on my mind lately, um, I think just with our present distress, um, you know, and, and thinking about what has helped us get through that or what could help us get through that, and it's not unique to us. You know, everybody goes through difficult times. Everyone goes through uh, challenges in their life, and I thought it'd be valuable for us to look at um, understanding how to overcome trials um, in our life. I think there's a lot that the Bible teaches us that helps us understand how to, to approach these things. And as I thought about that, I could not help but think about a, a story that happens in the book of Exodus. Um, and we're going to start with Exodus chapter 17. If you want, if you have a Bible, <clears throat> yeah, you can turn there. If you've got your, your phone, you can turn there as well. Um, but we're going to look at Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to read through that, and I'll, I'm going to make some observations. And then there's two major things that I want to point out about, about this chapter um, that I think help us understand how to overcome trials, because it's just a textbook example uh, from the life of Moses and, and looking at, at what he went through and how he dealt with that and how he came through that. So Exodus chapter 17, um, we'll start there in verse 1, and I'll stop along the way and make some, some observations. Uh, so verse 1, All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin after their journey, uh, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. So this is about probably a, within a month or two of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, he, you know, all the events took place there with Pharaoh and um, with, with them uh, parting the Red Sea and coming out of Egypt. And the Lord delivered them. And they're coming out. And now they, they reach this place, the wilderness of Sin. It's a, a region there in, in Egypt. And they pitch there in this, in this place, Rephidim. Um, and it was a more of a dry place, and there was no water there. Uh, so this is pretty early on after they had come out of Egypt. Now the people uh, we see are, are thirsty. Um, now up to this point, God has led them through the wilderness. They've complained about not having food, and God has provided manna for them. And they saw the goodness of the Lord, and He gave them food to eat. He, he provided for them and took care of them. And they come to this time now and this place with no water. And we, we pick back up in verse 2. He says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to, to them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? They had just seen, uh, I mean, it's, it's, they had just seen that God had provided food for them and manna for them. And they, they ate of that. And, and he was taking care of them and I mean, they saw the great deliverance that, that they had from Egypt and how he freed them from that slavery. And now they're coming to him and saying, give us water. Why don't we have any water? And he says, why are you chiding with me? And why are you tempting the Lord? And the people, in verse 3, the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore does, is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So now this is uh, the people's immediate reaction when there's no water and they're demanding it from Moses. They're complaining against him. They're angry with him. And they said, why did you do this? Why did you take us up out of Egypt 
to bring us out here to die of thirst? And they had constant complaints like that. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are there not enough graves in Egypt to bury all of us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Is there, there's no food out here. Did you bring us out here so that we can die? That was kind of their go-to excuse and their go-to, um, their go-to uh, excuse to, and, and, and their complaint against Moses as they were complaining against him. And so here they come to Moses and say, why did you do this? Did you bring us out here to kill our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Um, and, and the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, and take, take in thine hand, and go. So Moses, he, he is feeling this extreme pressure from the people. Uh, they're, they're murmuring against him. They're complaining about Moses. He's the one that God chose to be their leader, and he's leading them out of Egypt and has led them out of Egypt, leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. And they're complaining and complaining and complaining, and Moses was feeling that pressure, and he could see how angry these people were, and he cries to the Lord and says, they, they're about ready to kill me. They're about ready to stone me to death. And he didn't know what else to do, and so he cries unto the Lord. And, and so... God directs him. He says, go and take the rod that you had in your hand when you, when you smote the river and it, and it parted, the Red Sea had parted. He said, take that rod and go. And he says in verse 6, behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb and thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it and the people that the people may drink. And, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. Those words mean to strive or to complain. Um, and, and so he named that because of the way they were complaining and, and tempting the Lord. Um, because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So that was the attitude of the people. Is the Lord among us or not? And it, they apparently did not care about all of the evidence they had showing that God was with them, God was leading them, God was taking care of them. All they wanted was that water. They didn't care about the, the present situation at all. They just wanted what they wanted. They were thirsty, and they complained against Moses. And so and they wanted to kill him. Um, but Moses turns to the Lord, and God gives him those commandments. He says, go over there to the rock. I'll stand before you at this rock, at, um, and you smite the rock, and water will come from it, and I'm, I'm going to show this in the sight of all the people. And he's sanctifying Moses. I mean, this is God confirming Moses as the leader and, and supporting him and showing that this is the one that I've chosen to quiet the people down, you know, to stop their mouths from this complaining and this murmuring to show that Moses is the leader that God has chosen and God is with them. Um, but that's their attitude. Is God with us or is he not? Um, so Moses obeys in the sight of, of the people and he does that and they have water and uh, they were able to drink water. Now, as we continue in the story, something else happens. Another distress comes up. Another trial comes up. Um, and, and this one, uh, this one comes from the tribe of Amalek, the people of Amalek. So we continue in verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So while they're here in this place, um, the tribe of Amalek comes, this people, and they fight against Israel. Now, Amalek, if, if you remember and if, if you're familiar with the uh, history of Israel, you have to be somewhat familiar with, with their history and understand um, who Amalek is. 
Amalek was the grandson, Amalek himself was the grandson of Esau, uh, and that was Jacob's brother, or Israel. That was his brother. Um, and so it was his, you know, so it would have been his nephew, or great nephew, uh, Jacob's great nephew. Um, and Amalek apparently uh, spawned this tribe and this people who, I think uh, from what I read, it's like they were, they were a pretty mighty tribe in that region. And they, had, they were very dominant in that region. Um, but apparently they hated Israel. They hated the tribe of Israel. And you know, they, they wanted to attack them. And there's other places that God mentions um, his judgment against Amalek because when they came out of Egypt initially, the tribe of Amalek went to the, kind of the, 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 uh, the rear of the tribe and picked off the, the elderly or the weak and, the, and those kinds of things. And so they were, they were kind of like pirate uh, scum in, in that land. And they picked on the weak and they took, they took uh, that, that persecution. They persecuted and attacked the children of Israel. And so God pronounced judgment against them from that time because of what they did to, to his people. Um, and remember, God told Abraham, I will love the, or bless the people that bless you and I will curse the people that curse you. And they were a curse to Israel. And they attacked them. And so Amalek, just throughout the history of Israel, they hated them and constantly attacked them. And Amalek is going to come up more times as you go on through the story of the scriptures. Um, you know, if you'll recall, uh, when you get down to the story of, um, of Esther, her uncle Mordecai is being persecuted by a man named Haman. And Haman wants to destroy Mordecai, and not only that, he wants to destroy the people of Mordecai, the Jews, and Haman is of the descendants of Amalek. He's an, he's an Amalekite. Um, and so um, that fails miserably, and God is with him in that instance, and, and of course, um, uh, Haman is the one who ends up hanging on his own gallows that he created for Mordecai. But um, you go on into the, later on even, uh, as you continue in the history of Israel uh, during the time of the kingdom, Samuel uh, commanded Saul, the first king of Israel, to go and destroy the Amalekites utterly, and he didn't do that. Uh, he left the king alive, and then it, it seemed like some people had been left alive, and so later on, it's interesting that, that uh, Saul gets, uh, when he, they're in a battle with the Philistines, and he, he asks this person to basically kill him, help me kill myself, and so the guy helps him with that, and he's an Amalekite. And it's interesting that, um, you know, that sin wasn't dealt with and that people wasn't dealt with and it ultimately came back to, to um, it ultimately came back to bite him in that way and, and they continued to be an impression to, to the people of Israel. And so very interesting stuff about Amalek and there's so much more, um, you know, that, that should be considered in that. But that the main point is to understand that this people hated the Israelites and they came and attacked them and they fought with them. And... What Moses does in verse 9, he says to Joshua, Choose out us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So he's going to take this rod that he's used to smite the waters, and, and, and he parted the waters. He's going to take that same rod that he, he just now smote the rock with, and water came out for the people. And so Moses understands that, this is, that God is with him, and so he turns... Uh, to the Lord for help, and he says, I'm going to take this rod in my hand, and I'm going to go up on this hill. And uh, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the, to the top of the hill. 
And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So Moses had to, to, to keep that rod in the air. And as long as he held that staff and that rod in his hand and, and held it up, the people of Israel would win. But if he let it down, then Amalek would start winning that battle. And his hands were very heavy, it says in verse 12. And they, the men that were with him, Aaron and Hur, they, they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat down on it. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady till the going down of the sun. And so Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, because, for he said, because the Lord hath sworn that he that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, so you see there God uh, pledging his vengeance against Amalek and the, the utter destruction and the, uh, the removal of, of Amaleks from, uh, from, <laughs> from memory um, and, and the Amalekite people. But we see what happens here. Moses is holding the staff in his hand and he gets weary and his brother Aaron and, and, and Hur uh, this other man from, from Israel, they, go, they were with him, and he held up that rod, and he couldn't do it any longer, but his, his brothers stepped in, and they grabbed his arms, and they, they held up his arms until, the, until sundown, and they were able to prevail and to win that battle and to help Moses. And it's a very moving, uh, it's a very moving story. I think about that all the time. Um, when you think about dealing with difficulties, and so there's two things that I want to point out from reading this and, and thinking about this uh, passage here. And the first is to understand is that Moses had problems. <laughs> he was the, yeah, he was the chosen one of God to lead the people of Israel and God was with him and he saw many wonderful things and he was very close to God. Um, you know, even, even proximity-wise, he was able to go up to the mountain and be in the presence of God and to see him. But even still, Moses had problems. Moses had issues. Moses had things that he uh, struggled with, the things that he dealt with. There was these distresses that came upon him. He was, he was uh, fearful at times. He was frustrated at times. He was angry at times. And he had trials that came up in his life, uh, whether, whether it was his own doing or whether it was the, because of the people and, and the, the pressure that he was under as the leader of these people, he had issues. But he was able to prevail and overcome in these trials. And, and I think the question we should ask is, how was he able to do that? And I think these two things will help us understand. Firstly, Moses, Moses had God. It's the very first, the foundational idea, the foundational principle that we see at play over and over and over again in Moses' life. That's the first thing that he thought of and turned to when the people were against him. And, and this plays out over and over again throughout uh, their journey in the wilderness, going from Egypt to the promised land. And then even wandering in those 40 years, every time the people murmured and complained and there was some problem, there was some issue, Moses knew and understood, God is with me. I don't, I don't know uh, if I recall a, a, a verse where it talks about how Moses... <laughs> 
just forgot or stopped caring about all of the evidence they had seen of God's presence in their life and, and the deliverance that he gave and um, even able to see those holy things that God showed him, the, the pattern of the tabernacle that he was supposed to design and, and, or the design that God gave him and he was supposed to carry out. And then seeing, you know, the glory of God, not the full glory, of course, he could only see the backside of, of the glory of God uh, because it would kill him. But being able to see all of those things, I don't think Moses forgot about that. And he still had those problems. He still had those trials. And, and when he had trouble, he knew where he could go to. And in this situation, we see that his first thing was he cried unto the Lord. He asked God for help and just said, I don't, I don't know what to do. And he, he knew where to go. And he understood that God was with the, the people of Israel. He told them in Deuteronomy 31, towards the end of his life, he encouraged the people of Israel and said, Be strong and of good courage, and fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So Moses understood that God was with them, and he encouraged the people over and over again, even here at, towards the end of his life, he encourages them and he says, don't be afraid because it's God is the one that's going with you. You know, the people might have felt like Moses was some great man, and, and he was, and that he had some special thing, but he, Moses is acknowledging that it's the end of his life and he's leaving, and I'm sure that people are worried about that and are afraid and thinking, what are we gonna do? Our great leader, the great lawgiver, he's gone, He's dying. He's going to leave. What are we going to do next? And Moses is trying to help them remember that it's not about him. It's about God. He says, God is the one that's going with you. Moses can't continue on and go with them, but, but God will. And it seems pretty clear that Moses understood that throughout when you read these stories, even early on from Exodus you know, 17, where we're reading even throughout his, throughout his life as, as uh, leading Israel out of the out of leading Israel to the promised land, he knew that God was with him and God was with them, the people. And he says, he's not going to fail and he's not going to forsake you. And, you know, there might have been times where Moses felt like he was alone or he might have felt that. Um, in fact, I think I'm recalling now a time where he, he was and it was out of frustration and he questions the Lord uh, a little bit, but, but God reminds him and, and he humbles himself. But but he knows that God is not going to fail or forsake him. He's there. And the scriptures give us that encouragement over and over and over again. We could spend the rest of the, the time this morning um, and the rest of the day, I'm sure, finding and, and reading and thinking and talking about verses that show us that God hears us and he sees us and he knows. And that's something to take comfort in. God knows and sees our troubles. Whatever trouble you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, you, you, you should go and cry unto the Lord understanding that he's there and he's not going to leave and he's not going to forsake you. You might feel like he is at times. You might feel like he's not there, but understand that he sees it all and he knows exactly what you're going through. Psalms, uh, we read in Psalm 18, verse 2 through 6, notice the confidence that, that the writer has as he talks about the Lord and, and, and his view of God in his life through these troubles. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer. I mean, those are pretty strong words, right? The, the Lord, he's my rock. He's this solid, he's this mighty, this solidness, this mightiness, this, 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 uh, this uh, foundation, this thing that I can really hang on to and anchor on to. 
He's my fortress. It's a place where he, you can go in and be safe and you can dwell. And he's, he's the deliverer. He's the one who will deliver us from the trouble. And he says, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler. It's a, he's a shield. He's a, he's a protector. Um, and the horn of my salvation and of my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me and the, and the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of, out of his temple and my cry came before him even unto his ears. There's a lot here that, that is an allusion to Christ um, and his, his most desperate moment hanging there on the cross and feeling like he was all alone and, and being forsaken even and, and, and saying that, why have you forsaken me? And being put to death in the flesh and having to go into Hades and being surrounded and, and, and this shows us the words of the, the, the Psalter here, the words of, of this prophecy even of Christ. I think what rings true is the fact that in our deepest distresses, God is the one, even though we might be surrounded by by the sorrows of hell, he says, or the sorrows of death, that God still is able to hear our cries from his temple. So you might feel like you're in the lowest point, you might feel like you're in the most difficult distress, and you might feel all alone, but God is still hearing you. He can hear your cries, and your cries will come before him into his ears. And that's because of who God is. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He is your strength, your deliverer. He is the fortress. He is the rock. He's the one that's worthy to be praised. And I think that what we see from Moses is just a clear example of that. He knew exactly where to go. He knew exactly where to turn to for his help and his support. And he had that confidence in God. And I think that it's important for us to understand that we should have that same confidence in God, no matter what we're going through. Um, and, and that's something that has been a comfort to us. I mean... In, in the difficulty that we're facing in, in, at this present time, um, it's just remembering. Um, you know, I've, I've had a, it's strange, and I've, and I've told people this, I mean, yeah, there's, there's stress that's involved with uh, the situation. There is um, difficulties. I've been up and down emotionally. Just, you know, it's, it's just a hard thing to go through. But there is, at, foundationally, there's a sense of peace because... I know what the scriptures say, and, and I know that we've never lacked anything. <laughs> I know that there's, there's many more scriptures we could look at and see uh, for, you know, that I think about is, is that God sees our needs. And I mean, I was talking to Elisa just the other day about this, and she said, you know, we should have confidence in that because God said, even he sees the animals, the sparrows, that, you know, by comparison, we're worth a lot more than a sparrow. And if God sees the needs of, of the smallest of his creations and takes care of them, what makes us think and, and what, what makes us think and fear that he's not going to see what we need and that he's not going to help us? And so, and that's just been a constant in, in my life. And as I've talked to other brothers and, and sisters in Christ, they remind me that that's been a constant in their life as well. They've never lacked anything. Um, I mean, I obviously haven't missed a meal. 
<laughs> That's obvious, right? Um, don't acknowledge that. Um, <laughs> but God is with us, and he's not going to leave us. You know, sometimes we need to be honest about those moments and, and ask, is it me? Am I the one that's not with God? Am I the one that has forgotten? Am I the one that has forsaken? Because that could be true. He's always with us, but ask yourself, am I with him? And if we're not, then that's not going to go well. But we can have a confidence in life, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but we can have a confidence to face anything in this life. It does not matter what it is. We can face that because God is for us. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There's, there's no one. If God is on your side, if God is for you, if he's your rock and your fortress and your deliverer and he's not going to leave you or forsake you, what, what challenge truly can come against you? What challenge can overcome you? That's the kinds of things that Paul is asking in this. And he touches on, on the most deep and important things. He says, who is able to condemn you and cast you away from God's presence? Who is able to disqualify your salvation? Who is able to do all of these things? Because it's Christ. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that shed his blood for us. He's the one that can cleansed us in his blood and confirms us that we are saved. And if that's the case, he's already made that decision, then no one can be against us and, and no one can separate us from God's love. If we've been reconciled to God, nothing can separate us from, nothing external can separate us from, from God. Now, we can certainly walk away. We can certainly give up on God and forsake Him and, and leave us. And if we, we do that, I mean, I, I don't know at what point is it that God leaves you, but if you're just determined to forsake God and not be with Him and be disconnected from Him, He's not going to force you to, to, He's not going to force you to be with Him. He won't. Um, and the scriptures bear that out as well. If we won't retain God in our knowledge, then He won't retain us in His. If you, if you uh, deny Him before men, He'll deny you. If you forsake Him, then, then yeah, He'll let you go. But He doesn't want that. And so he, it, it takes a lot, and He is very patient with us, even as we work through our doubts and fears. If we, even if we do thrash around and try to be against God for some time, he takes a, it, He's very, very patient with us because He wants us to know and see that he is for us, and He is with us. And so any distress that we might face, we can face with, with a sense of confidence. Even though there will be fears, there will be doubts, there will be emotions that we experience, that's true and that's normal, and there's not anything wrong with, with you if you experience that. But we can always fall back to and understand and ha take comfort in the fact that God is for us, and if that's the case, then the challenge whatever challenge we might be facing, though it might feel like the most difficult thing we're facing in the moment, it really won't even compare to the greatness of God. And, and we might not fully understand um, the situation, and, and we're, we're going to learn from it, we're going to grow from it. We may not be able to see it in the moment, but that will happen, and God will guide us through it. it won't, and, and again, it may not work out the exact way we think. Um, you know, for Moses... Maybe he didn't think that when he came to God and said, I need help, I don't know what to do with these people, maybe he expected, like, like happened with the manna, that it would just kind of fall from heaven and God would take care of that. 
but in this instance, Moses had something to do. He said, you, I'm, you need to go and do this thing, and you need to obey me. And it didn't matter how difficult it was for Moses. It didn't matter what emotions he was going through. It didn't matter that he was afraid of the people, or if he was afraid of the people, that they were going to stone him to death. That didn't matter. He said, I'm going to give you this task. Here's the solution. Take the rod and go to this rock and smite it. And I will go before you, and you're going to do this in the presence of the people. And so the second thing to understand, or a, a second part of this to understand that though God was with Moses, and he had God, and though we have God, we're still required to obey the commandments of God, no matter if we're going through a trial or not. We don't get a free pass just because it's hard for us. We don't get a free pass just because we're, we're distraught. We don't get to stop following the will of God just because we're going through a difficult time. Um, now, obviously, you know, God is gracious with us and lets us get out our emotions, and we might say, make some mistakes. We might say something silly. We might act in, in uh, you know, ways that are not typical, and God is gracious with us, but, and, and that's not what I'm talking about necessarily, but thinking about the story of Moses, he had a responsibility to continue to obey God, and it did not matter what the situation was. Now, we have a contrasting event with Moses to see that sometimes he, uh, well, maybe not sometimes, I mean, all the time, he was just a normal person like any of us, and I mean, there wasn't anything special about Moses other than, than what God made him to be, and he was just like any of us, I, I, would, I would think. Now, he was very humble and very meek, of course, but um, but he had emotions, and he let that get the best of him at times. And we see this other example in, later on. So they go through the wilderness. They go and spy out the camp of Canaan. They fail to obey God, and so then they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then sometime after that, that time period, it, this event happens again with this next generation, it seems, where they're complaining and they're murmuring against God, just like it happened in Exodus 17. So it's history repeating itself all over again. And the children are now complaining, and they're saying, why did you do this? Why did you bring us out here? And so in Numbers uh, 20, we read that, the same kind of complaints. Why, didn't you, why did you bring us out here? There's not enough water. We're all going to die of thirst. Was this your plan all along, Moses? Is this what you wanted? You just want us to die. And so Moses is feeling this distress. Of course, he knows what to do. He goes to the, to the Lord, and the Lord, uh, they, him and Aaron, they go to him, and, and God gives them a direction and understanding and a plan to, to follow. He says in Numbers 20, he says, The Lord spake to Moses, saying, Take the rod, just like before. Take the rod, gather the assembly together, you and Aaron and your brother, and speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shall thou give the congregation and their beasts drink. Notice the difference, though, in this story. In, the, in Exodus 17, God said, take the rock, I'm going to go before you in Horeb, and, I, and you're going to smite the rock with this rod, and water would come out. In this case, he says, go to the rock with the rod before you, um, and speak to the rock. He didn't say to strike the rock, he says to speak to the rock. And then water would come out. And so Moses took the rod, as the Lord commanded, He's very frustrated, um, and, and he is following the commandments. He's going to su submit himself, so it seems. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we, must we fetch you water out of this rock? 
So Moses is starting to make a mistake here. He's letting his temper get the best of him, his anger get the best of him in this moment. So we see he's, he's a regular person and has these challenges. He, he, what he tells the people. Are we, you want us to fetch water for you out of this rock? Now he's making it about him and not about the Lord and what the Lord is doing and that kind of thing. And so he gets angry and he's frustrated. And what does he do? He lifts up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beasts also. He didn't obey God. He didn't follow, th- follow the commandments and so he had a consequence for that. The Lord spake to Moses and Aaron. He says, because you believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land that I have given them. So Moses and Aaron were not blessed with being able to enter into the land of Canaan. They died before they were able to enter in and see that promise fulfilled with their own eyes. Now God was gracious with him and took him to this high place and he showed him the land. So he was able to see it, but he wasn't able to, to complete the mission and take the people into the land as he should have because he chose to disobey God in this moment. And so God was with him, yet he requires us to still be obedient to his will. We don't get to circumvent the will of God or choose to disobey him or break his commandments. And it doesn't matter if we're angry or we're frustrated or whatever emotion we're feeling, we have a duty and, an, and, and, an, and a responsibility to control ourselves and obey the will of God else he won't be with us, else we won't get to, to, to receive the blessings that, that he wants for us in our life. And so the best thing we can do when we're going through those difficulties is keep our senses about us, submit ourselves, humble ourselves, listen to the will of God, and, and continue to follow through with that. Because he won't be with us if we won't obey. And Moses told Joshua that. And, and Joshua, it, it's recorded in Joshua uh, in verse 7, he says, God told Joshua now, because he's the new leader, Moses is dead, and now Joshua's the leader, is going to take him into the land. He says, Be thou strong and very courageous, that thou, mayest, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it, from the right hand to the left, that you may prosper whithersoever thou, thou goest. So Joshua was encouraged with the same thing. Be strong and courageous and observe according to do to the law, and don't turn from it. And if you do that, then God is, God is going to be with you and not forsake you, and he's going to, and he's going to go before you. But you, we, need, we play a part in this, and we need to obey the commandments of God, and, and we will prosper. Otherwise, it's not going to go very well for us. And so we have to be, be carrying out his commandments. And this is exactly what Jesus says and what he means, and I think why it's so important, in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So the storms are going to come, but the only way to be fortified against the storms, the the floods and the rain that's going to descend, the wind that's going to blow, and beat upon the house, you... Your life, that, that's what he's saying. It's not, he's not talking literally about a house. He's talking about you. And trials are going to come. Difficult things are going to come. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You're going to have moments of deep distress and despair. You're going to have 
great difficulty. Um, so what do we do? How can we be fortified against those things and, and, and in those moments be fortified enough to stand and withstand those things? Um, what do we do? Well, notice what he says. If you hear the sayings of mine and do them, we have to follow through with the will of God. That's what's going to fortify us. The actions we choose to take, no matter what's happening, no matter what we're afraid of, no matter what we're going through, no matter what emotions we're experiencing, we still have to carry out the commandments of God, and that is what's going to fortify us. The behaviors, the actions that we take, the habits that we build in those difficult times is what will help, help us be founded upon that rock. Um, because we could... Because you're building a habit and you're reinforcing something in your life. If you're going through a difficulty and you turn away from the commandments of God, let's say, let's say, um, I don't know. Um, let's say you turn to alcohol, let's say, to deal with a problem that comes up in your life. And it's like, oh, I really need this, this, this drink. Because uh, that's really what's going to help me with the stress. That's really what's going to help me get through this day or whatever it is. Um, and that's just an example. It could be anything. Um, there's, a, there's a number of ways that we try to numb ourselves or try to run away. We try to disengage with life. We try to, to bury ourselves in work or whatever else it is. But let's say we do that. We say, here's this distress, and here's how I'm going to handle it by doing this, this thing, and I'm going to have this drink. Well, if you do that every single time, that's the habit you're building, and that's the pattern you're setting in your life of going to those things. That's sand. Jesus says if we... If we build our life upon that kind of thing, that's not really going to help us withstand, and you're building your house on sand, and it's going to fall. Um, however, let's pretend instead that we instead turn to prayer, and we turn to reading, and we say, you know what, I'm going through this horrible, difficult time, but I'm going to commit myself to praying and reading. It may not feel like it. You may not feel, um, it may be very difficult to do. But let's say you make that your habit every time you experience a trial, every time you experience a difficulty. You tell me which one of those would be better. In the long term, um, in the short term, it may not seem like it's, it's that great. How is this helping me? But in the long term, tell me which one of those is going to be better for you, for your soul, for your, for your house, to not fall apart when those challenges come. And when they do come, you will be stronger as a result of it. And so it goes hand in hand. To, to, in order to withstand the trials, we need to obey God. And, and especially when we're going through those floods, when we're going through those rains and the winds that are beating upon us, we can't just all of a sudden stop obeying the commandments of God because we're going to fall apart. And we're going to be overcome with those trials and by those trials. So we have to carry out His commandments in order to be fortified. And, and our obedience in those difficulties, and even generally, it's going to be noticeable and helpful for the work of the gospel because people are going to see how you respond to difficulties. The people were seeing how Moses was going to react and respond to this difficulty, and you know they were just complaining and murmuring, but Moses had an opportunity to sanctify the Lord in Exodus 17 and, and to, to honor him before the people by following through with his commandments, and they saw that God was with them. He had the opportunity to do that in Numbers Numbers chapter uh, 20, and God, God rebuked him. He says, you didn't believe me, and you didn't sanctify me. How do we know that? Because he didn't do what God asked him to do, and so he smote the rock, and 
that that was not what God asked them to do. And so it was noticeable, and it was in front of everyone. Everyone can see. And there's just a general principle about that. Your obedience, your faith, your life, the patterns you have, the habits you have, the behaviors, people are noticing and people are seeing that. So please don't forget that. Even if it's in good times, people are seeing that. 1 Timothy 4, Paul encouraged Timothy in, in verse 15. He says, meditate upon these things and give yourself completely to them that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and them that hear thee. So there's blessings for you, and you, you will be saved because you've obeyed the commandments of God. You have committed yourself to them. Your profiting has appeared to all. People will see how, how much better things go in your life, even if things don't seem to be going well. People will see how, how things just generally are better in your life and how you handle things more resiliently and, and that you're able to go through these difficulties with a peace that passes understanding. People will notice that. But notice what he says. You're saving yourself. If you continue in the doctrine and you pay attention to yourself and you are obeying the commandments and you're fortifying yourself for these difficulties that come and through the difficulties, you will save yourself and those that hear you. Your your words will be more convincing to people when you tell them, here's how to handle this trial, and here's why it's important to follow Christ. Here's why it's important to believe Him, because He is with us and He won't forsake us. And if you live a life of obedience and following the will of God, knowing that He's with you, and you choose to be with Him by, by being faithful and obedient to Him, then that's going to be more convincing. People will believe you. Otherwise, they won't and you won't save yourself or them that hear you. So that's the key primary starting point, the foundation. We could continue and talk, talk more and more about just that idea that God was with him, and then Moses chose in Exodus 17 to be with God. We see the contrast in Numbers 20, which is really interesting, and I'm glad we have that to, to look on and to compare. But uh, God was with him. And that's the only way that we will overcome any trial in our life. It does not matter what it is. God must be with you. Now the second thing, the second trial that came up in, in Exodus 17, where the, Amal the Amalekites came and fought against them and Moses had to hold up this rod. And, the, and as long as he held that up, they were able to win. Um, what we see is that he needed help. <laughs> in the first one, it's obvious he needed God's help. But in the second one, he needed help from, from his people. He needed help from his brothers. And again, people might assume it's like, well, Moses, he's so close to God. He's such a, he's such a strong person. He's so spiritually you know, strong, and look how close he is to God, and look how all these great things he's done. He doesn't need any help. Aaron and her could have... Could have taken that attitude and said, well, it's, it's Moses. He doesn't need any help. But that didn't matter. <laughs> Moses even needed help from, from his brothers. And uh, and Moses, when he felt like he couldn't do it anymore, and he physically couldn't do it anymore, his brother stepped in and helped him. And uh, 
you know, they, they, they couldn't be the ones that had the rod. They couldn't be the ones in that position. And so they couldn't carry the rod for him, but they could carry him. Um, and that's what they did. <laughs> Aaron gets on one side, and well, they get this stone. At the, at the first thing they do is get this stone so Moses can sit down. And so he's seating now, or can at least prop himself up against this stone. And then Aaron comes on one side, and her comes on the other side. And here they are. And I just imagine... Um, I just imagine this scene where they're just huddled real close together and they know that this is necessary to help Moses because if they do that and help Moses, that means victory for the people of Israel against Amalek. And so it's, it's much bigger than Moses and it's much bigger than, than those three men. They see the purpose and they, they want uh, victory to happen for, for Israel as well, but they care enough about Moses and the people to go up there and be there in the middle of that that physically intense moment for Moses and this, this difficulty that he's going through, they're there with him by his side. And he had people surrounding him. He had brothers that were with him to help win this battle. Because if, if Aaron and Hur were not there, then the Israelites would have lost the battle and, and Moses would have failed. But he didn't fail because his brothers were with him. And uh, that's the second thing. Moses had support. And that's what we need. If we're going to overcome a trial, if we're going to overcome a difficulty, no matter what it is, we have to have support. We cannot do this by ourselves. If Moses had an attitude where he's like, I'm Moses, I can go do this by myself, he would have failed miserably. But not only did he understand that he needed help, I think he accepted that help. And he took Aaron and her up there with him. And uh, maybe he knew, but maybe he just thought, well, they're, they're, they can come along for moral support, but they ended up really supporting him and, and helping through that, and they wouldn't have done it otherwise. But the point for us to learn from that is that we can't do it by ourselves. You're, you're not strong enough. And until you admit that and you accept that and you come to terms with that, we're not really going to get the help that we need. Um, because first of all, you're not strong enough. You need God. You're not stronger than God. And second of all, we all need help and we need support and we're not going to be able to, to deal with whatever we're dealing with if we're just trying to do it by ourselves. If you put yourself on an island, you will fail. Because that's exactly, there's so much more we could spend time talking about, but that's exactly where Satan wants you, is to just be all by yourself. Be isolated. So he can pick you off easily. He'll have his way with you and throw you out, out into, the, into the garbage and, and that's it. That's what he wants. And the easiest way he can get to you is if you're by yourself. But if you're surrounded with the family of Christ, if you're surrounded with brothers and sisters who are helping you walk through those trials, that's going to be much more difficult for you to fail. And we're commanded in the scriptures to do this kind of service for one another and have this kind of love for one another. Romans chapter 15, 1 through 3, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, 
the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So Christ is the chief example that, that Paul can give us when he's talking about bearing the infirmities of the weak. There was a problem that we had that we could not deal with ourselves as, as uh, humanity goes. And the curses of sin and death were upon us. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take on this burden. And he didn't do it to please himself. He didn't do it to get some benefit for himself. He did it for our benefit. And so we need to know and understand that we ought to bear each other's infirmities. And if we're the weak one, let others help. Let people in. We might let pride hold ourselves, hold us back and go, well, I don't want to, I don't want this, I don't want to, I don't want to burden somebody, I don't want to, you know, or you might just think, oh, I'm just too embarrassed and this is just too hard. And that, that's just not even a consideration when we think about this passage. The strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and that, that is what it is. And we ought to let people help because imagine if we took that attitude that we might take when we're going through a trial, if we try to isolate, we try to push people away, we try to keep people at bay, and we don't really want people to know, we don't want people to help, we don't want people to be right there with us holding up our arms because we can't do it anymore. Imagine if we took that attitude with Christ. It's like, mm, yeah, you took on this burden of sin, but I don't, I don't really want you to. And we just keep on hanging on to that, hanging on to that, hanging on to that. That burden would crush us and we would fail because it's not something that we can carry. But we need to, the same way we let Christ help us with our sins and our infirmities, we need to let other people help. And we need to be the kind of people that help each other and identify that and, and, and walk with those who are going through difficulties. Because we need that or we, or we just have to. We have to do that for each other. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul wrote, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one to a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, I think we can take that a number of ways. One, one I think, is if, if you think that you're so strong, you're deceiving yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Don't think that you're so great that you don't need support and that you don't need help. Let people in and let people help. You, you are not strong enough. Don't fool yourself. You're not. No one is. Um, even Christ, even Christ in His most difficult moment. He needed help. He needed support. And he had his, he had Peter and John with him. And he says, come and pray, pray with me and stay awake with me. Because he knew he needed, he needed people with him. Um, and he didn't want to be alone. And Christ understood that. And I think we should open ourselves up to understanding that too. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. And, and understand that we should bear each other's burdens. And if we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love one another as he loved us. Because we're willing to, to carry a load 
on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Just like Aaron and just like her, they were there, right there with Moses carrying his arms. Um, it's just such a beautiful picture and it's overwhelming to think about um, because, as I mentioned, our, our current situation, it's just, uh, it's incredible to see the love of the church and the love of our brethren that have just rallied around us. and. Uh, to, to be the one that needs the support is, uh, it's hard. <laughs> to be the one that needs the prayers, it's difficult for sure. But uh, it's just, it's been good for us. And uh, you know, we heard Leland here not, not too long ago and he talked about his situation and how the church was there and rallied around him and he wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. And that's just the thing. <laughs> To see the love of the church in action is just an amazing thing, and uh, people are holding up, up our arms, and uh, it's just it's it's overwhelming, and it's and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, <laughs> and it's just um, what how it's supposed to be. In for, in First Corinthians chapter twelve, the Bible says that there should be no schism in the body. We should be united. We should be together. We should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. And uh, that's the picture that we have of, of the church. We should be there to support each other and help each other. And if somebody's going through suffering, we're all there with them. And we can't leave somebody behind and, and leave them alone and let them be isolated. We need to go there and be there with them and suffer with them. And, and even in joyful times, if we're rejoicing, if one member be honored, then we should all be honored and rejoice with, with that member of the body. But um, we need the support of God. We need Him to be with us. And we need the support of our brothers and sisters. Those are the two things that I really wanted to highlight from this, this, this passage in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, because if we don't have God, we've already failed. And number two, if we don't have our brethren, we're going to fail if we haven't yet. And so let, let, the, let the love of God support you because he won't leave you or forsake you. And let the love of the brethren support you as well if you're going through a difficulty because this is the only way that you will overcome a trial, truly. Um, so if you're here this morning and you need the prayers of the church, you need support, let us, let us suffer with you. Let us pray with you. Let us weep with you. And uh, we're, we're here to be the family of Christ, truly. And so if, if you are without God and, and you don't even feel like you have the love of God with you, then that's something that we can pray with and, and talk about as well. And so if you need the support of the church, or maybe you, maybe you have heard and keep hearing about how Christ has paid for our sins and you know that there's sins in your life that you need help and support with and you're overtaken in that fault and you need to wash those sins away in baptism, then Christ is the only one who can wash that burden away from you and take that away from you. And that's why he, precisely why he came into this world uh, to save us from that. And so if you need to be baptized into Christ, then we're here to support with that as well. But if there's anybody that has a need, please come. Um, if you're working through a trial, help us to help you as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. 
If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.